Psalm 89. We're going to read a few verses and then I'll share something from the Word. Just as you're finding that, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's great, isn't it? I'm just thinking about Anna and, uh, and talking last year. Every step of faith that we ever take in our lives um, it is a step into a question mark, whether we like it or not, because the question mark is, is it going to work out okay? And that's why some people don't take steps of faith, because they'll never confront whether it will or not. And uh, we, sat, we, we, we sat with Hannah, we sat with her mum, talked things through. And um, Christian and me were very keen that, although it was a, a pioneering uh, uh, situation in the church, uh, it wasn't a case where we wanted to get it all wrong with Anna, and then we get it all right the following year. And, uh, and uh, it's been brilliant, uh, really great to see how that's worked through. And uh, just thinking, Anna, you know, some of those things that happened this year in terms of going on mission, being at conference, mixing with some different folks and all that's taken place because somebody said yes I'm, 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 I'm trying to hear from God I'm believing God, there's a few gulps but I'm going to step into what God's got for me and if we'll all keep doing that then God will do amazing things in our lives and uh, thanks you know, and I am walking right into a big gulp right now um, so, uh, so uh, you, you know and I've sort of said to God God I'm getting a bit old for this but no he says no there's there's, there's there's, there's lots more for, for every one of us to step into if we'll keep stepping into the question mark because the question mark is answered in God. And uh, so thanks for your prayers. And I'm just saying, um, and we're okay for a few months for time. It was just great this week in terms of what God's doing amongst us. A number of the folks were able to come up for a day or a couple of days to the, the conference, which was at Huddersfield on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And to be part of a team, uh, not, not just, if I can say this, but not just part in terms of working with Christian. Obviously, that's a very... Uh, close relationship in terms of leadership but actually part of the team of the church and um, that is incredibly empowering and affirming in all that we do and it's the Bible way and we thank God for that the other thing is that it, it, I was driving back from Huddersfield pretty late Thursday night and um, <clears throat> we need to we need to uh, rejoice in what God's doing friends because we try to hear God in the church and respond a number of things have come through very strongly this week in terms of ministry and teaching and encouragement. And it was really great, I said to Christian, that we weren't coming back this morning thinking, well, we better start doing this and we better start doing that. In other words, lots of things that God's confirming, friends, from his heart in these days, we're seeking to implement. Some of them we've just started, some of them have got some progress to make. But trying to hear the heart of God, trying to hear what God's saying in these days and beyond the journey of Arena Church is fantastic. God's doing some great things around the uh, around the nation and and as i say the enemy loves to rob us of a perspective um and uh, as we said the other week you know in the year that king uzziah died things going bad for somebody else seeing the lord and there are churches closing down but there are churches opening every week there really are and there are churches that are diminishing but there are churches that are growing and becoming hundreds in a very short space of time and god's doing some amazing things through some amazingly ordinary people so one afternoon this week one of the guest speakers wasn't able to get because of a crisis that had arose so christine williamson gets up who's the uh, wife of ken williamson uh, our pastor in dagenham or should i say dagenham you know and uh, you've ever been to dagenham you know it's just you know it's just an incredible place it's scary you know and um, they've got the church there and god's doing an amazing through ken and christine and she began to share the story, just an ordinary woman. And the whole uh, thing about God saying to Moses, what's in your hand? And 
Christine was a little bit modest because she's far more than this, but she said, I love to cook. Uh, I love to make meals. I love to give hospitality. And their daughter is the youth pastor in the church. And uh, their daughter's been connecting with some of the gang members uh, in Dagenham and uh, seeking to relate to them and draw them in. So anyway, the upshot of all of that is that none of these gang kids in gangs have got a real understanding of what a family is. Certainly very little understanding of what a father is. So Ken and Christine have begun to open their home up on a Thursday night. And she says, you know, I, I said to God, they're going to case the joint. They're going to pinch the tally. Um, they're going to take, you know. And, but they just felt that God wanted them. So on a Thursday night, they've been <clears throat> calling at the round table and uh, encouraging uh, a number of these kids to come and just sit with a mum and dad and have some food. It was just amazing. Just an ordinary thing. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. I wish I could just take you to the atmosphere right now of just somebody that's been in church. And that's happening again and again and again in our nation, friends, where Jesus, through his people, is reaching out to brokenness, and it's fantastic. Psalm 89, I'll read the first eight verses. And the psalmist says, I'll sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known for all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne from firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. Excuse me. For you in the skies, for who in the... For who in the sky, yeah, thank you. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly to be feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Thank you. And it's verse 8 that I'd like us just to use as a springboard this morning for our ministry. O Lord Almighty. Who is like you? O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Our series is simply called Big. It's leading up to the Big Idea Weekend. And last week, Julie started off by talking about big love. And this morning, for a few moments, I want to talk about big God. Our God is big. There used to be a song that we used to sing in Sunday school years ago. that says, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. There's lots of actions to it. And he is an amazingly big God. <clears throat> you may remember a few months ago, right at the beginning of the year, we did a short series on raising the praise in the house, the sound of the house that captures the attention of heaven. And it's happening all over the world today. And we looked at, <clears throat> in one of the messages at some of the attributes of God and some of the characteristics of God to remind us that God is amazing. We thought about God being creator, and we thought about God being sovereign. In other words, God is in control. He knows all things. We thought about God being immutable. It means he never changes. It, we thought about God being all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present and eternal. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's a big God. And many writers in the Bible have sought to give expression to this bigness. For instance, in another psalm, the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Moses, writing in Exodus, says, Who's like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? 
David, after the temple, uh, encouraging the people to believe for God, uh, to bring a great offering so they could build a temple to the Lord, said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 says, He sits, that's God, enthroned above the circle of the earth. People understanding that we serve a big God. That big God, friends, is more than able to help us, more than able to sustain us, more than able to strengthen us. And as we've been hearing already this morning, more than able to use even the weakest of us. And despite all the stuff of life that comes to us, because we live in a real world, God is able to always bring us through in triumph. The psalmist says again in Psalm 121 and verse 1, Lift up your eyes to the Lord from when your help comes. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And this morning, in these moments that we've got, I want to just encourage us that God is bigger than anything that we can be faced with in our lives. So I want to give four or five things this morning that remind us that our God is a big God. Firstly, he's bigger than our understanding. He is bigger than our understanding. In Isaiah chapter 55, some well-known verses, uh, in verses 8 and 9, it says this, "For For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. It is easy at times to reduce God, big God, to our size. Christian gave me a new word the other, the other week when, when we were doing team meeting the other Tuesday morning. I, I, I love new words. And, it's, and uh, the word was this, anthropomorphism. And what it means, really, friends, is that we as people reduce God to our level. But he's way beyond that. He's higher than our thoughts. He's greater than our ways. He's way beyond it. He's beyond our understanding. And things can happen to us at times and things can happen to our friends and things can happen to our family and things can happen to people in our church that sometimes we can't always easily understand. And we can seek to bring a spiritual and a pastoral and even a philosophical approach to these things. We can work through issues with regard to suffering and we've sought to do that even recently in Equippus and disasters and crises. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do all of those things, but the reality is at times that even with the best of us, we can on occasions be left still with a why. With a why. And God's above all of that. And we need to run again and again to him because when our understanding is limited, God is way beyond, beyond how we see it. Just a few days ago, about 10, 11 days ago, we, we able to enjoy just two or three days away and it was fantastic. And I got a text from somebody uh, hearing the sad news that David Wilkerson, the founder of Teen Challenge, and he saw some of the fruit 40, 50 years on into that ministry earlier this year when the Teen Challenge group were with us here in Arena. But the founder of that movement, uh, a wonderful uh, American church leader, had been sadly killed in a car accident just a, a two or three weeks before his 80th birthday. I, why? You know, I, I don't know. Why, why did God? I don't know. But interestingly, David Wilkerson used to write a daily devotional. And his last devotional was on the 27th of April, 2011, just a couple of weeks ago. And he said these words. He says, writing, writing to people that were uh, uh, on, on the end of the, the devotional going out uh, through, uh, through, through the, the website. 
Someone has come to a place of hopelessness. The end of hope, the end of all means. Hope is gone. The miracle prayed for is not happening. That is when Satan's hordes come to attack your mind with fear, anger, and overwhelming questions. Where is your God now? You prayed until you had no tears left. You fasted, you stood on promises you trusted. Blasphemous thoughts will be injected into your mind. Prayer failed. Faith healed. It failed. Don't quit on God, but just don't trust him anymore because it just doesn't pay. Even questioning God's existence will be injected into your minds. These are the devices that Satan has used for centuries. And some of the godliest men and women that have ever lived have come under such attacks. To those going through the valley and the shadow of death, hear his word. Weeping will last through some dark awful nights. And in that darkness, you will soon hear the Father whisper, I am with you. I cannot tell you why right now, but one day it will all make sense. You will see it as part of my plan. It was no accident. It was no failure on your part. Hold fast. Let me embrace you in the hour of your pain. Beloved, that's an old-fashioned word for friends. But it's him speaking, not me. Beloved, God has never failed to act in goodness and love. When all means fail, his love prevails. Hold fast in your faith. Stand fast to the word. There is no other hope in this world. In this world. The last communication from a man who was taken into eternity, having served his generation. Friends, God is bigger than our understanding. And around this room, we can all live with wise. And you know, it's okay to do that. It's okay to say to God, why? It's okay to say to God, I don't get it. It's okay to say to God, I don't understand, friend, it, Lord, in my mortality, in my humanity. And God says that he, he just wants us to run to him. And when we don't fully understand in our understanding, our God is always bigger than that. Secondly, friends, God is bigger than our intellect. He's bigger than our intellect. Just as I move on there, let me just read this from the end of 1 Corinthians 13 in another, in another translation. It says, we don't see things clearly. We're squinting into a fog, peering into the mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We'll see it clearly as God sees. Knowing him directly just as he knows us. Right now, until that completeness, trust steadily, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. He's bigger than our understanding. Secondly, friends, he's bigger than our intellect. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul is on a journey of ministering the gospel and he finds himself in Athens, still the capital city of Greece, of course, today. And some of you may have been to that great city and some, seen some of the ancient ruins and even some of the places where Paul ministered nearly 2,000 years ago. And he comes to this city, friends, and he's very distressed by the idolatry that he sees, verse 17. And then he begins to speak the, the, speak into the gospel into the culture of the day. And the culture of the day, if I can put it this way, was all just a little bit too clever for itself. It, 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 it fought away things. It, it all got a bit too clever for itself. And so Paul finds himself at the Areopagus speaking about a big God. Here's what he says in verse 24. 
The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and the earth. That's bigness. And he does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. That's bigness. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. That's bigness. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit, inhabit the whole earth. And, be det- and, and, and uh, he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. He began to speak of the bigness of God. What was the response? Well, some people in verse 32 sneered. One translation says they laughed at him, walking off, making jokes. I wonder if you've ever been on the end of that sort of reaction when you've told somebody that you're a Christian. Here's the Apostle Paul going through exactly the same. And I want to say, friends, that God is bigger than our intellect. And that sneering attitude to the good news of Jesus reflects much of what we see in society today. I sometimes watch some of these discussional programs on on the BBC. I sometimes listen to what people have got to say. And the reality is that even in our nation today, friends, there's too many people around that just think they're a little bit too clever for God. Someone reminded us this week that a secular society brings independence intellectually that says, we don't need God anymore. We don't need him. And you know that in this church, we encourage our young people, not only our our young people, but everybody to go on a journey of lifelong learning, to continually develop the mind, to be diligent in your studies, to be disciplined in your exam preparation. And we'll cheer you on when you do well at school and college and uni and all of those things. People that are doing courses at work that haven't been to school for 20, 30 years, but you're still being challenged on the journey of learning. And we love all that. We encourage all that. and We're not against all of that. But you cannot contain God simply through your intellect. He's bigger than that. You cannot come to a place, friends, where you become too clever for him. That leads you to cynicism and religion and death and walking away when the ministry of of God is, is ministered and saying, well, I, I'll think about that. Because it's more than that. It's God engaging our head, but he's engaging our head that he might touch our heart. God is bigger than our intellect. Let's not be too clever for him. God is bigger than our expectations. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. The Bible says in these verses that God is able to do immeasurably, or exceedingly more than we can ask or think or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Whatever, brother and sister, friends, we are believing God for this morning, God says he's able to do more. Whatever we see, whatever you see in Christian as church, God's able to do more. And not only more, but exceedingly more. Whatever you're seeing over your life, God's seeing more. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we can ask or think. And I want to encourage us this morning to increasingly begin to aspire, to dream, to hope, to believe what God can do in our lives. That he may take us on a journey that will be amazing. Yes, he'll need to check that journey at times with our humility. He may at times need to leave us in a place of obscurity, but God is continually committed to doing something amazing in every one of us. And it's not caused by a red bull, it's caused by a big God. 
It really is. It really is. A big God in all of our lives. And I know that there's that Britishness in us at times and in some of us more than others. I know there's that sort of deference at times and that's okay. So I'm not really sure if God can use me, but God can use you. And those little seed thoughts, that you've, I've only been a Christian six months, God can use you. I seem as I've got so little to give to God, God can use you. He seems that I'm not as gifted as anybody else, God can use you. And those seed thoughts in your heart that seem so small at the moment, God's able to take hold of them and use them immeasurably more than you could ask or think. He's bigger than our expectations. Fourthly, friends, he's bigger than our challenges. There's a story in the, New, uh, in the Old Testament, a true story, that even people that don't go to church would be pretty au fait with. 1 Samuel 17, there's a little teenage lad called David taking on a huge giant called Goliath. And David was only there because he was taking food to his brothers. But he got involved in taking on this giant. We still use it, particularly in a sporting analogy nowadays, when the little one's taking on the big one, we call about giant killers. Giant killers. And God's bigger than our challenges, friends. The reality is that as we go forward in our Christian faith, there will be times when we are confronted with giants. They will seem to overwhelm us. They will seek to stand tall over our lives. They will seem impenetrable. They will seem insurmountable. They will seem that there's no way through or no way round. And what can happen if we're not careful is that can cause us to live in fear. He says in verse 24 of that chapter, and clearly I'm not going to open it up this morning because of time, but he says that the soldiers ran in fear. Now, these, this was a trained fighting force. But when this huge giant from the Philistine camp came out and roared his challenge, they ran away in fear. And the Bible, friends, clearly tells us in the New Testament that fear brings torment. It inhibits our lives. It can impede what God wants to do. It can intimidate us out of the purpose of God. And we need to name it for what it is. Because of the giants. And then David gets into a conversation with King Saul and says, I'll, t- I'll take him on. You know, oh, yeah, right. I- I'll take him on. Because God had been doing something in this guy that was preparing him for this particular moment. And sometimes when you think God's not doing anything in your life, he always is. He's always at work in your life, even when you think that he isn't. And what happens is, friends, that your history then begins to determine your destiny. What God's done in the past sets you up for what he wants to do in the future. And it didn't just happen. Something had been happening in the fields, because when the lion and the bear sought to come and ravage David's sheep, he took them on. So who's this giant's? Because he was living in a sense of the anointing of God. You know the story how that Saul tried to dress him up in inappropriate armor. And he eventually sort of got rid of all of that, went down to the stream, picked out the five stones, and began to speak into the situation. And, uh, it, and uh, the, uh, the, the, the giant said in verse 43, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Complete contempt. I'm going to blow this guy away before he's even sort of started. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he says, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air air and the beasts of the fields. But David wasn't coward. He said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Big gods. 
the God of the, of, the, of the armies of David. And then he began to prophesy. He says, this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and, and, and the beasts of the park. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And I, want to ca- I want you to capture that prophetic spirit, friends, because the enemy so often tries to cower the church of Jesus Christ, as Christian said in leading the meeting this morning, he tells us, well, the, the church is dying, the church is going out of business, the church won't be here in another generation. And all these things come to us. The giant seems huge. The giant of secularism, the giant of materialism, the giant of apathy, all seems huge. But God's raising up a people today whose destiny has been determined by the history. When it seems like nothing was happening, something was happening. And God's raising up a people with a prophetic voice that speak to the giants and say, all we're seeing is a giant toppled. All we're seeing is almighty big God coming into this situation and completely turning it around. And that, of course, is exactly what happened. We're not going in our own strength, but we're going in the name of the Lord almighty. Someone says God is not just a God of history, past, or a God of prophecy, future, but he's a God of the present. And brothers and sisters, Arena Church, I want to encourage us to increasingly rise up, every one of us, not just leadership, but every one of us, when we are confronted with giants, to speak to them in the name of God and see them felled. There may be giants in your life personally, and the Holy Spirit's able to appropriate the word right now, so, oh yeah, that, that's me, you know, uh, I'm living with a giant of disappointment. Uh, I, I can't seem to get over the giant of inferiority. Whatever it is, it may be that there's times corporately that we get confronted with giants as we seek to advance the church and be ava- uh, prevailing in his name. But whatever it is, we need to carry a similar heart to this man this day and run to a big God and see Jesus do amazing things. Finally, friends, God is bigger than our disbelieving. In Mark chapter 9... There's a man that's got a problem because his, his son's in a terrible state. Been bothered by the powers of darkness that cause him to convulse and throw himself around. And uh, Jesus just encouraged people to believe that all things are possible. And the boy's father says, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Do you ever find yourself in that contradiction? That you believe God, but somehow also crashing at the heart of your door is the reality that you could easily run to doubt as well. And uh, I understand, friends, that, you know, that God's always drawn to faith. It really is. But Jesus didn't dismiss this guy and say, well, you're not believing enough. He says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit and commanded it to come out, never to enter again. And Jesus took the little boy by his hands, lifted him on his feet, and caused him to stand up. And Jesus today, friends, is still passionate about lifting people up and causing them to stand on their feet. He's bigger than our disbelieving. I'm not talking about a disbelieving that pushes them away. I'm simply talking about the vulnerability of our faith that says, God, I believe. Please help me in my unbelief. And God still comes to those sorts of people who are vulnerable before him and does amazing things. You see... uh, so that, that we can be, we, we can we can see God doing uh, uh, what He wants to do. It may be that today uh, there are doubts that come to your heart and mind. There, there are doubts that sometimes are over your family and your future. 
uh, there are doubts regarding what God's got for you. And we shouldn't be, ashamed, we shouldn't be uh, uh, surprised by these things at times because it is literally, at times, the enemy seeking to push back on what God is wanting to do. But Jesus did the miracle anyway. And if you and me will vulnerably live before God and say, God, we really believe you. We really, really believe you. I believe, help my unbelief. I don't think that's a kickback to God doing amazing things in our lives. I'm going to bring the ministry to a conclusion by taking you to Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 begins and ends with God. And everything in our life should do exactly the same. So it begins with God's bigness. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. But then it talks about God using us. Verse 4. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And God says, yeah, but I've made you a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned you with glory and honor. Made you the rule of the works of my hands and put everything under your feet. And then it finishes with God. And it always must do. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You see, friends, God has called every one of us to a God-ordained destiny. Fueled by God's delegated authority to reach our day and generation. How can this be? How can this possibly be? Because the big God became so small. In John's gospel, Jesus is described as the word. And the gospel of John doesn't deal with what we know as the Christmas story because the emphasis of that gospel is not servanthood, it's not kingship, it's not humanity. But it's the deity, the divinity, the godliness of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning, big God. But verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Friends, we can respond to a big God today because he became so small. Very often and we've had a spate of little babies being born into the life of the church. And at the beginning of a service, Christian will take hold of that uh, little baby, so small. Christian is what he's known in rugby terms as a big unit. He's a big guy. He's a big fellow. He's well over six foot tall. He's a big, tall man. I don't know whether you see him sometimes, but he just almost gets that baby in one hand. The baby seemed so small. Friends, that was Jesus. He came as a baby. He identified with humility, with servanthood, with humanity, with sacrifice and substitute. And as we've been reminded this week, you're not a substitute. You're not second choice. Because we've only ever needed one substitute. And his name was Jesus. He's paid the price. And he's paid the price, friends, to become so small that we could respond to a big God. A big God that's greater than our understanding. A big God that's greater than our intellect. A, great, a, a big God that's bigger than our uh, expectations and our challenges. And even our disbelief. And I just want to encourage us to rise up this morning, friends. Rejoicing in the fact that God was so big, so removed from us. So above us. So beyond us. So disappointed that we let him down. Yet he came up with the answer as well. 
He came up with the answer by becoming so small and coming to this earth in the flesh of Jesus Christ and identifying with us. So that 2,000 years later, it may start with God, it ends with God, but he's using us in the middle. And we could, like the psalmist says, Oh Lord Almighty, who is like you? In response to a big God, let's live a big life. I wonder if we'll pray.